the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. The title of my sermon today makes no inference to any church or churches that uses the name that I'm going to give this message. I want everybody to understand me. In addition, I'm calling grace to a new and higher level of commitment. This is the first step. In three Sundays, you'll get the second step. I'm not only calling grace to a higher level of commitment, but not only to the future of this church, but also to the rapture. Cannot get that out of my head. We have to be ready for the rapture. If you miss the rapture, you've missed everything. I want to preach to you for a little while today about the Pentecostals of Laodicea. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And I pray, God, that you would speak to us today. You know my heart. Pray that you would talk to this church. We need a fresh and new revival I pray in the name of Jesus that the spirit of God would work in this house that the word of God would go forth with courage without fear and that would hit the mark I'm asking you God as I fire the arrow that you'll take it and guide it to the hearts it needs to land in we ask you for your anointing for your divine sanction on this service we ask it in Jesus' name, and everyone say amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I have <clears throat> because I have a lot of material to bring to you today, and I will ask for your patience. This is another one of those God moments. God spoke to my heart about three weeks ago, and I was under the shadow of this through our miracle crusade with Brother Holland. So some of you may have noticed that I wasn't as funky as I would normally have been. It was because I had been under the shadow of this message for the past three or four weeks. It's coming on the heels of, of the sermon I preached to you about a church that God can rapture. In the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, God speaks to the seven churches of Asia Minor, which is 
equivalent to modern-day Turkey. If you see the map there, uh, you'll recognize perhaps that Italy is across from the Aspian Sea, and then Turkey is the portion of where you see the uh, seven little blocks. That's the country of Turkey. You'll see the Mediterranean Sea at the bottom of the slide. You'll see Libya, Egypt, which indicates northern Africa. Going on around the Mediterranean, you'll see Israel, Lebanon, and so on. So just to kind of orient you on where these churches are, what is so grieving to me is that God writes to these seven churches in the first three chapters, essentially the second two chapters of the book of Revelation, and none of those churches, to my knowledge, are in existence today. That country is entirely Muslim and steeped in darkness. So just because there's a church in your area is no guarantee that it's going to be there forever. It's our responsibility to keep the church going. Well, I didn't get a lot, a whole lot of whatever I thought I would, but anyway, it still is. As one reads the messages of Christ to these seven churches, there's a basic format that can be noticed. And to when, when Christ writes to these seven churches, there's commendation, there's rebuke, there's exhortation and a promise. There's two exceptions to this format. When Christ addressed the church of Smyrna, he offered no rebuke. When Christ addressed the church of Laodicea, he offered no commendation. There was nothing about that church that he could commend them on. Nothing. Everybody say nothing. He couldn't commend them for anything. Laodiceans trust in their ability to rule themselves. They judge and they decide the matters of their life to the exclusion of Christ's rule and will within the church. Laodicea was a bustling center of economic growth leading up to this point. Located in what is now modern-day Turkey, it sat on the crossroads of two major trade routes that went through what is now Turkey and therefore became a very wealthy city through its banking and through its commerce. The city also prospered from its garment industry benefiting from the luxurious black wool produced in the surrounding Lycus Valley. There was even a medical school in Laodicea, and they became known for producing a widely used medicinal eye salve. You'll need to remember that in a few moments. These factors contributed to the financial success of the Laodiceans, and throughout the Roman times, the city was the wealthiest city in the province of Phrygia. Tacitus, a Roman senator and historian, tells us that in 60 A.D. an earthquake hit the city. But the proud Laodicean officials refused any financial aid from Rome. Tacitus, as you see on the screen, quoted one of the most famous cities of Asia, Laodicea 
was in the same year overthrown by an earthquake and without any relief from us, Rome, recovered itself by its own resources. They relied on their own wealth and prosperity and prided themselves on their self-sufficiency. As self-evident, or excuse me, as self-reliant as they were, there was one thing that really held the Laodiceans back from even becoming more of what they thought they were, and that is, is that they were completely dependent on external sources for one of life's most essential necessities, water. With all of their money, with all of their success, and with all of their self-dependency, they could not produce for themselves one drop of water. But listen very carefully. Please listen. Through a complex system, system of aqueducts, water was piped to Laodicea from the two nearest cities. Aeropolis was one to the north, which was home to hot springs with therapeutic mineral waters much like our own Hot Springs, Arkansas, uh, was especially in the past. The second source of their water came from the south, the city of Colossae, which is the city that Paul wrote the book of, of Colossians to. The Laodiceans enjoyed the refreshing, cool waters of the Lycus River. But by the time the waters of these two rivers reached the Laodiceans, it was anything but refreshing because the water that came from Heropolis was hot water, literally hot water out of the ground. The water that came from Colossae was cool water. And by the time they got to Laodicea, they bringing them to a tepid or lukewarm water that was very nauseating to drink. It was full of phosphate and sulfur, they did all kind of treatment in the river coming into Laodicea to take this taste out of it that would nauseate them when they would drink it. It was into this culture of self-reliance, pride, and wealth that the early church spread across Phrygia and into Laodicea in the first century A.D., but as Christ called the church to be the light of the world, the Laodicean Christians fell into an all too common trap. The culture of the city seeped in to the culture of the church. How could the Laodicean Christian people become completely reliant on God when they were able to take care of themselves just fine. I want to submit to Grace Church here this morning to every person setting the building, including pastor. When a Christian loses this complete dependence on God, the relationship of trust that we have with God suffers. The word angel that the book of Revelation uses refers literally to the pastor of the church. 
And so when God begins to speak through the pastor to the Pentecostals of Laodicea, Jesus cuts right to the chase. And the language of this passage is very clear. In verse 16 that we read, he uses, our King James Version uses the word spew. But the Greek word is literally vomit. Christ is using a metaphor that cuts deep to the heart of the Laodicean church. Remember the disgusting, tepid, hard water that they were famous for? The one thing that their riches could not supply for them was fresh flowing water. So with the taste of this nauseating water still on their lips, they would hear the words that Christ would vomit them out of his mouth because they were in the same condition as their water. So I don't want anybody here today, and I've taught on this many times, don't be fooled into thinking that by hot or cold that Christ is asking them to be either good or bad. Their lukewarmness is not because of laziness, neither is it because of a lack of extreme. He means that they have lost their devotion and trust in God. One writer said, Laodiceanism is nothing more than a virulent or strong and bitter form of worldliness in which devotion to Christ deteriorates while attention to the world, its ways, attitudes, and conduct intensifies. The Laodiceans had succumbed to the culture that surrounded them. And rather than being transformed in Christ, they were content to remain in that comfortable place. Everybody say comfortable place. They were caught in this cycle of sinful pride without even realizing it. So today, it is with the church of Laodicea the Pentecostals of Laodicea, that I concern myself today. What a shame it would be for Christ to look down on Grace Church and find nothing to commend us for. As awful as that is, that is exactly the condition that was present in the Laodicean church. The saddest commentary on the Laodicean church was not only the fact that Christ found nothing commendable, but also that their spiritual condition figuratively made God sick to his stomach. This is born out of Christ's statement again in verse 16, I am about to vomit you out of my mouth. This statement reveals God's abhorrence of the Laodicean church's spiritual condition. However, I want to look beyond the church in general this morning. I've not come to preach to Grace Church. I'm come to preach to every individual here this morning that makes up Grace Church. I didn't come to make you feel good. I come to make you feel uncomfortable. We have to be ready 
to the rapture. And where some of you are very uncomfortable by this preaching, and this is not what I've come to hear, I offer no apologies. I'm obligated to preach what God gives me. And I'm going to do that here this morning to the best of my ability. You see, it is the individuals that make up the overall spiritual temperature of any given church. And I want every person here this morning to listen to me carefully. I've had people sit in my living room, my church office, and everywhere else and say, well, I'm only one person or we're only one family and we're not that big of a deal. Yes, you are that big of a deal. Perhaps you've never thought of the fact that you, everybody say me. Maybe you've never thought of the fact that you, as an individual, can actually affect the overall spiritual atmosphere of this church body. One person can impact it for good or can impact it for something negative. One person. I've seen more than one church in my lifetime that has been blessed by the influence of one person or one family or I've seen churches brought to its demise because of one person or one family. So I'm not preaching to the overall church body where you may be thinking this is really applicable to the guy across the aisle. There's no exclusions or exemptions here this morning. I'm preaching to pastor first. I want you to listen very carefully. When you call and say something along this line, Pastor, please pray for me and my family. We are in dire straits. The tragedy is without boundary. The heartache is without parameter. And you describe to me this God-awful situation that you say was brought on by sin, the devil, whatever. So pastor listens to you as one person, not as a church body, but as one person. And so we scheduled times and days of fasting. And we scheduled prayer meetings. But somehow or another, you're not here. We schedule church services that will help your situation. We build sermons. We bring in speakers. But you're not here. You're sending to me and this church a very mixed message that says something like this. Well, we are in trouble. And we are having some dire straits in our family and there's some bad stuff going on, but I'm okay with y'all praying about it because I've already prayed about it and I don't need to pray about it anymore. That bothers me really bad. Or when you schedule meetings and the premise of these meetings is God performing the spectacular and the miraculous in your life, in your home, and in your family. And when you don't show up, you know the message you're sending to God. You know the message you send to this pulpit of this church. It's a Laodicean message. It's a Laodicean attitude. I don't need it. 
I have need of nothing. I'm asking everyone to consider your own spiritual condition today. I want you to forget about who you are and what you've done. God don't work based on the spirit of entitlement. Now faith, not yesterday's faith. Y'all on board? Does God find our relationship with him sickening? What does Jesus see as he looks at your heart as an individual? I believe that there are some questions that all of us need to consider. Let me submit to you that the Lord Jesus is sickened, first of all, by careless saints. Careless saints are indifferent about their relationship with Christ. Jesus said to the Pentecostals of Laodicea, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold or hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Which means, if you were cold, you would have impact on somebody that's hot in sin. If you were hot, you would have impact on someone who is cold in sin. The idea of being cold or hot has to do with impact, not good or bad. So if your relationship with God is good and you're on fire for God, you're going to have impact on the people you work with, on the people that live in your home, on the people that you're around all the time. If we're hot, we will. Cold has an impact. Let someone drop an ice cube down the back of your shirt and see what you do. It has an impact. This is what Jesus is saying, Pentecostals, is do you still have your impact? I've heard people say that, I, I, that the church should do away with all of its religious trappings as it's called and say forget about all that stuff I say to you today if the gospel don't change a person then what's the point concerning one's relationship with God Jesus gave his verdict Jesus said but seek ye first the kingdom of God I don't think your job ought to override church I'm, I apologize. I need to apologize for that one because, Pastor, we've got to have our money. And, you know, this is the only job that can make this kind of money. And, you know, we have to have our hobbies. We have to have all these things, whatever. Not what Jesus said. When you push God out and put career in, you are Laodicean isk. Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Let me ask you a question today. Do we? Do we really? The psalmist said, When thou saidest, when God said, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto God, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. There will be no distraction. 
This is on my mind. I've got to say it. I want to applaud Chris Lewis here today. On several occasions during our Miracle Crusade, he left a baby in the hospital that was facing brain surgery. And after the surgery was over, he left the baby in the hospital to just come and play the drums so our music would be the best it could be. If he can be here under those circumstances, I don't want to embarrass you and put you on an ego trip, but I thank you. Thank you for such a commitment. David and Isaiah considered one's relationship with God to be vital. David said, when thou said, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. The psalmist went on to say, listen, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Isaiah said, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon there are some things that a person cannot afford to be careless and indifferent about the most important of which is your daily relationship with Jesus Christ have you ever heard the old saying that goes like this for want of a nail the shoe was lost for want of a shoe the horse was lost for want of a horse the rider was lost being overtaken and slain by the enemy for the want of care about a horse shoe nail careless saints are inconsistent in their daily conduct, their daily living. Christians are to live lives that are blameless, the Bible said, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Peter wrote, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that we look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Our behavior and conduct must back up what we say are our beliefs. In Matthew 23 and verse 1, Jesus spake unto the multitude, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Oh, therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, they that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say, and they do not. James said, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. The reason these Christians are inconsistent is due to the fact that they don't believe their conduct is important. They're indifferent about their life's testimony before the world. They say they believe what the Bible says, but make no real attempt to obey what it says. We need to have this prayer on our lips at the beginning of every single day. I pray to God this day to make me an extraordinary Christian. That should be our prayer every day. That today 
Not just Sunday. Not just Wednesday night. But on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and so on. I pray to God this day to make me an extraordinary Christian. None of us can afford to be careless in our relationship with God. Not now, not ever. Our future as a church is at stake. And our being ready for the rapture is at stake. Let me preach to you folks here this morning. I want a church in Central. I want a truth preaching church in Central. I want a church in this city that makes impact on this city. Some kind of way we're going to figure out how to do it better. But for God's sake, it can't go away. It can't go away. We cannot become another Laodicea where there used to be a church, but there's not one now. second thing that concerns God about Laodicea's complacent saints because thou sayest I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing complacent saints are satisfied with their spiritual growth their praying is at best weak the Bible said praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints anybody that says, listen to pastor, I'm not angry, I'm burdened. Does anybody understand the difference? You don't have time to pray? What are you saying? I can only think of one answer to that question. I don't need to. I don't need to be at push Thursday night. And if I come... So what if I'm 15 minutes late? It's not, it's got to become a priority. We can never, as individual people, stand and say, I have need of nothing. At the very moment you say, I have need of nothing, my response to that is simply this, you have need of everything. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Complacent saints are lax in their attendance when it comes time to go to the house of God to worship. They feel like going other places, more comfortable places, is more important than being in the house of God. We'll catch Wednesday night Bible study later. We'll be there next Wednesday night, Pastor. You know what you're telling me? Is you don't need what I'm teaching. You got it already. Well, if you've got it already, then how come our lives don't bear fruit of it? I want to say to our what has become known as the lobby Sunday school class. The unfortunate thing is you don't have a teacher. The lobby class that sits on the couches out there. What he's saying you don't need. Or is it because it's not the pastor doing it? If the pastor was doing it, would you be in here? Oh, it's just Brother Merrill. He's just the assistant pastor. What he's saying is he's giving you the word of God every Sunday morning, man. And by you sitting in the lobby, you're saying, I don't need that.
Look at the lives of your children and family. Look at the direction they're heading in. If they're not serving God or they don't want to serve God, it may be because of an indifferent attitude and lifestyle that's been being lived in front of them. The Bible said, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And as so much more as you see the day approaching. There's two days it could be referenced here. Number one is the following Sunday. As we're getting ready for Sunday on Thursday, we should be talking about it in our home. I'm looking forward to church this coming Sunday. I'm looking forward to the speaker speaking. I'm looking forward to the preacher preaching and so on. Is that how it is in your house? I want to say with everything in me today, it is imperative. We must develop a love for God's house. The psalmist longed for God's house. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He said, one thing I desire, and that is to be in the house of the Lord. It is sad that many people, even some who claim to know Christ, take so little interest in his church, the church that he purchased with his own blood. I don't need that. Some people only show up on important occasions in their life. The only time the pastor sees some people is when they're hatched, matched, or dispatched. Hatched is when they're born, matched is when they get married, and dispatched is when they die. Hello? I'm going to tell you folks that have your babies dedicated. You have an obligation, and I ask you to make a promise and a commitment that you're going to raise them in the house of the Lord. You need to follow up on that commitment. I don't play with that. And I'm not going to dedicate somebody's baby if I don't feel like they're going to do that. I'm not going to do that to the child. We should teach our children and grandchildren a proper appreciation for the love they find in God's house, the loveliness of God's house, and the eternal life that can be found in God's house. We need to teach our kids that it is imperative that you're in the house of God. This ought to get a standing ovation from every person sitting in this building. What's wrong with us today? Does anybody love the house of God anymore? You're not going to heaven without it. Hallelujah. We need to raise our family in the church. I love it when Joshua said, as for me and my house, I don't care what friends at school are doing. I don't care what's going on in colleges. I don't care what's going on down the street. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You may be seated. Complacent saints are negligent about God's word. The psalmist said, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart, he said, that I might not sin against thee. I will delight myself in thy statutes, and I will not forget thy word, he said. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Complacency in the life of a Christian can seriously impair one's 
relationship with God in their effectiveness and His service. Here's some identifying marks of this spiritual malady, Brother Nathan, if you'll help me. Here's some identifying marks of this spiritual malady. Let me tell you what complacency is. Complacency is a blight that saps energy, dulls attitudes, and causes a drain on the brain. That's what complacency is. It's the most unproductive state that a person can live in. The first symptom of complacency is when people become satisfied with the way things are. And the second symptom of complacency is when they have a rejection of things as they might be. As a church, as an individual, as a family, we must move forward in our relationship with God. If you've been married for more than 20 years, you cannot say that it is exactly the same as it was 20 years ago. If it is, you've got a strange marriage. Because hopefully when you got married, you didn't have kids, and you have kids now. That's one big, huge improvement right there, and I could go on and on. The same is true in our relationship with God. People that like to live at some point in the past and say, I wish I could go back. I don't. There's days and times that I miss, but we've got to move forward and keep the church relevant. It can't be lukewarm and tepid and comfortable. It's got to be a place that is continually moving us forward in our relationship with God. Good enough. Good enough becomes today's watchword and tomorrow's standard. I'm good like I am. I think sometimes our generic courtesies has worked to our own undoing because we walk up and say, how are you? And we have systematically brainwashed ourselves into saying, we're doing good. We bring that mentality to the house of God. We bring that mentality to church. And we tell God, I'm doing good. I don't need anything. Everything's good in my life. Complacency makes people fear the unknown, mistrust the untried, and abhor the new. I'm going to tell you folks, I'm going to say this. I probably don't need to say it, but I'm going to say it just for good measure. But uh, people that come to grace, especially from area churches, are shocked by our music. I don't like it. You know why? Because it's not testimony-based music. In our music, you very rarely get to sing about me. And I don't like it. I want to sing how God can, can bring people out, but I really would rather sing it how he did it for me. We don't do testimony music. When you go to heaven... You're not going to sing testimony music. You're going to sing worship music. And you're going to praise and worship because of the blood of the Lamb and so on. It's worship music. I want a church, and we're trying to build a church. First and foremost, that knows how to worship God. So, complacency makes people fear the unknown. I don't like that kind of music, and I don't want to sing it. 
It's not that you don't like it, you don't know it. And you don't want to try to learn it. You don't want to try to learn what it means. You don't want to listen to what they say. I watched folks here today, a couple of the songs the praise team sang here. Now, if we're singing, what's the point? I'm not even going to waste time doing that. Complacent people are like water. They follow the easiest course, and that's usually downhill. They draw false strength from looking back. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife? He was trying to move them forward. Complacent saints, man, I've got to hurry. Complacent saints are satisfied with their shameful giving. They are noncommittal when it comes to giving themselves. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, listen to this, listen to this. All you people are too busy doing anything legitimate for the kingdom. To minister to people. Talking about teaching Bible studies and care groups and all of that. I'm just got too tired and burnt out and I'm wore out and I'm tired and I'm burnt out and I'm wore out and I'm tired and I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and all that. Listen. First Corinthians six fifteen, I beseech you, brethren. You know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That's in the Bible, first Corinthians six fifteen. Addicted to ministering to people. Addicted to ministering to people. Wish I had time this morning. I'm going to have to hurry now. I'm running out of time bad. But 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, about the church of Macedonia. Paul said they exceeded our expectations. They gave their own selves to the Lord. They didn't just give their pocketbook. They gave themselves. I want to make an appeal here today. We need home Bible study teachers. We need care group leaders. We need Sunday school teachers. Complacent saints are non-committal when it comes to giving themselves. Then I could talk to you about paying your tithes, which there are some here today that needs to warm up to that idea. You want God to bless you? You need to pay your tithes. Ten percent. You can worship and hoop and holler all you want, but if you're not paying tithes, it profits you very little. I hadn't preached that message in quite a few years. It's kind of shocking to hear that from the pastor. Because summarily, Grace Church hits it out of the park. But there's folks here today, just dug their heels in the dirt, and said, what am I going to do it? Well, you're shooting yourself in the foot. And to justify it by saying, whatever you want to put in the blank, does not take Malachi 3.10 out of the Bible. Jesus said, give. And it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. And with the same measure that you meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. So if you give little, you'll receive. A man received a nasty letter. I skipped down to the, the giving shuffle, Brother Nathan. A man received a nasty letter from a creditor demanding that he pay something on an outstanding bill. The debtor wrote back saying, Dear Sir, every month I take out my bills and I shuffle them carefully and I pick out six which I pay. If I have another sharp letter from you on this matter, you're going to get left out of the shuffle. And there's people that do that. Well, got to pay the utility bill, got to pay this, got to pay that. Sorry, God. 
You're left out of the shuffle this month. You're killing yourself, man, by not giving. 10% minimum. That's tithe. That's not what you give. That's what you owe. It belongs to God. It's His. It's like getting something from somebody and not paying for it. God gave you a paycheck, and He wants 10% of it back. I'm a living, breathing testimony. You can live a whole lot better on 90% with God's blessing than 100% without it. Try it, and you'll like it. Yes, sir. It's a sad thing that many people leave God out of the shuffling thing. Complacent saints are noncommittal when it comes to witnessing so that the lost might be converted. Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, you'll receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes on you. And you shall be witnesses. I have to hurry. I'm not going to have time for all of this. I wish I could share. I'll, I'll do the plea for fishing uh, here uh, in the next few services, Lord willing. But witnessing is simply, a basic definition of witnessing is just simply telling what you know. I love the story of John chapter 9 when Jesus healed a blind man. And the Pharisees wanted to know who did it. And he said, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. But they said, but we want to know who did it. And he said, I don't know. Go ask him. That's in the Bible. So if you can't explain everything to everybody, don't worry about it. Tell them to go read their Bible and go talk to God. He'll talk to them about it. You don't have to be a big weenie and say, I can't witness because I'm scared and I don't know enough. Nobody's ever won anybody to God with a Ph.D., but millions have been won to God based off of a testimony. Just tell what you know. And excuse me for using the big W word. I'll get the tongue lashing when this is over, I'm sure. But that's how I feel about it. The third problem, and I'm trying to wrap this up. I've got so much to share. The third thing about Laodicea and Pentecostals is that they're, they're, contra they're, they're, they're contradictory. They're contradictory about their spiritual condition. And here's where I've really come to preach this morning. And I've just skipped some of my notes. The Laodiceans boasted of their spiritual bounty. I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I don't need anything. I have need of nothing. You hear them talk? Everything's all right. Everything is in order. But the sad thing, listen to pastor, listen. Listen. The sad thing about the situation is that these people won't seek the Lord until they find themselves helpless and hopeless. One writer said, in the highlands of Scotland, a sheep would often wander off into the rocks and get into places they couldn't get out of. Listen to pastor. The grass on these mountains is very sweet and the sheep like it. And they will jump down 10 or 12 feet 
and eat that grass. But the problem is that they can't jump back again. And the shepherd hears them bleeding. Too shabby right there, is it? The shepherds have learned, listen very carefully. The shepherds have learned, if I go get them right away, they won't learn their lesson. I need to leave them there long enough for them to eat all of that grass and then start getting real hungry again. Then I will go and I will drive a stake in the ground I'll tie a rope around my body and I'll let myself down into that crevice where they've fallen. I will pick them up and put them on my shoulders and I'll bring them back up again and lead them to grass that I want them to eat. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. God's not vindictive and God's not vengeful. But He is a great teacher. And when you tell God I don't have need of anything. And then when it comes time that you do have something you need, God may leave you hanging over the crevice for a while before he comes bail you out. Because when he comes to pick you up at that point, then you really appreciate what God gives you and what God provides for you. Now, back to the person, the people that calls and says, my family's in dire straits. We pray, but oftentimes those prayers are very rarely answered the way you think they should be. You know why? God hears you bleeding. And he's going to leave you there a while so that when he does come to rescue you, you'll appreciate the rescue and you'll never go back there again. He's a great teacher. The Laodiceans ultimately concluded that I don't need God, I'll never need God. So that church in Turkey is no longer existent. Jesus' response to that, I know, but I know that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, you boast, the Pentecostals of Laodiceans, that you can treat eyesight with man-made medicinal salve. But what you don't know is you have been blinded by your own success. Why don't you buy of me, God speaking, salve? that can really cause you to see how things are. Contradictory saints are contradictory about their spiritual communion. They say everything is okay, but God was about to chasten them. As many as I love, he said, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, he concludes his exhortation to the Pentecostals of Laodicea. And this is what smites me the most. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. I will sup with him. He with me. In our day, hundreds of thousands of believers are in the same condition as the Pentecostals of Laodicea. They're living in a sad state of spiritual affairs. They're in need of immediate, wholehearted repentance before God. For as someone accurately noted, if we put off repentance another day, we have another day more to repent of and a day less to repent in. God is sickened by a careless, complacent, and contradictory spirit. God gave me this message, and it was only a few days later, Anna Lewis, uh, we found out Cohen was in the hospital. I want you to listen. God has a real odd way of working things. Stand with me this morning. Put that on. We went to the hospital. We brought Brother Holland. We prayed, anointed a handkerchief. And I believe God has worked a miracle in that baby's life. After his surgery, we received uh, Anna, Melanie, somebody texted and said the improvement has been immediate. The doctor said he'd have an extended stay in intensive care, extended day in the hospital, and none of that happened. He had instant improvement beyond even what the doctor said he would. So we went up to see the recovering Cohen, and they were right. Saw him smile, and this is just a couple of days after brain surgery. He knows I'm back there talking about him. I walked out of that intensive care unit room and walked to the waiting room. Casey was with us, so I came out so she could go in, and Dave Bunch was standing across the hall in the waiting room. And my heart just plummeted. I thought, dear God, what are you doing here? I didn't say anything right away. I didn't want to be intrusive. He was talking to a bunch of people I didn't know. But come to find out, the vice president of the company he works for, his 14-year-old son was crossing a busy intersection on his bicycle, was hit, and rolled him up on the hood of that car, cracked open his skull, brain damage. And two days later, that 14-year-old father was in a funeral home with his son. Oh, Bless me. I don't know what I'd do. I don't know what I'd do if Brother Gary called and said, Pastor, we got something. I'm not here to be morbid and put a guilt trip. But God has a way. He said, I chasten you. People here this morning who have kissed death in the mouth. You hear me? You've given death, pardon the expression, but a French kiss on the mouth. And God spared your life. Don't stand there and say, I have need of nothing. I want to tell you what I have need of. Thank you. 
I need Jesus. Every minute of every hour of every day, I need Years ago, Sharon Haygood wrote a song or sang a song. I don't know if she wrote it, she sang it. She said, I used to think that I could make it without Christ in my life. For many things I tried to do seemed to work out all right. I had friends and family that meant so much to me. I said, he, Jesus, might be good for someone else, but for me, I just can't see. But then one day I was lonely, oh, so lonely, when all my friends was gone. Then suddenly I realized that I was all alone. Then I heard a voice speak, oh, so tenderly, I'll be to you everything, everything. You'll let me be. So all I can say now is, oh, I need. Like I've never needed anyone else before. I need you. But pastor, we've got money in the bank and we live in nice homes and we drive nice cars. That don't, that don't mean anything. That's not going to help you in your hospital room. That's not going to help you when you're facing some of life's crises. You know, the, the, the burden of my soul this morning is simply this. Darnell is... You pulled up to your house and it was on fire and Shaquana was in that house and you knew it. What would you do? What would you do? What would you do? Steve, what would you do now? You pulled up to your house was on fire and your wife and three babies was in that house. What would you do? Our house is on fire, Sister Lisa. You hear me? Our house is on fire. And we can't afford to stand on the side of the curb and watch it burn. I need him. I need him. So this morning, as we round out this year, as we're going to systematically set God aside for Thanksgiving and Christmas, I'm trying to encourage you not to do that, but we want to hit the new year with new vision and new purpose here in Grace. I'm going to ask everybody in the house to make your way down the front of this building, and in your way, I'm just going to ask you to ask God to make you better. God, make me better. We act like a starving man that's just found bread. I want to build such a solid relationship with God where Paul said, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Everybody crowd in. Everybody crowd in. We're not going to hurt anybody. We're not going to do anything to embarrass anybody. I want everybody to crowd in. I want you to start thinking about priorities. I know we've got another month to go before the new year, but I want us to start thinking about priorities. What's really important and what's really necessary? God, help us today. 
to realize our inherent need of you. I don't care who we are. I don't care what we have. I don't care where we've come from. We cannot boast. We cannot be saved by our works. We still need the grace of God. We still need the grace of God. But everybody lift your hands heavenward right now. Lift your hands heavenward. Let's call out to the Lord. Everybody call out to the Lord. If you need to move up in your relationship with God, we're giving you that opportunity right now. If you want to draw a little closer to Him, we're giving you that opportunity right now. If you need more of God in your life, would you invite Him in? If you need the Holy Ghost, would you invite Him in? If you need help with your attitude and your perspective, would you invite Him in? He's outside your door right now, knocking, 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 knocking. If you'll let him in, if you'll let him in. We cannot afford to become the Pentecostals of Laodicea. God, help us right now. Everybody pray. Everybody pray. That's right. Everybody pray. If you want to travail, travail. If you want to intercede, intercede. But we need God and we need Him now. We need Him now.
Can we pray one more time all over the house? Let's pray. Everybody call out to God. Everybody call out to God. Hallelujah. 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 Everybody help me this morning. We need to call out to the Lord. People are praying and reaching out to God. Let's help this morning. Let's help. Let's help this morning. Let's help.
Stand in wonder once again. Your grace still amazes me. Your love is still a mystery each day. Your grace. 
Angels crying holy, all surrounded. 